Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome back to another edition of Mind on My Money podcast uh, presented by Pinnacle Trust. Uh, this is your co-host and host today, uh, Martin Palomo. Last week I was out because my daughter was sick and Neil uh, took care of the helm for me. And this week Neil is on vacation, which is great for him. Uh, he needed it. Certainly, uh, I think he said it had been a while since he had totally unplugged. So uh, I am covering for the both of us today. I do have, um, as my guest today, our chief executive officer uh, of Pinnacle Trust, Stacy Wall, is joining us. We're going to talk about um, kind of what happened on uh, this quarter, which was insane in the markets. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, time when there's been uh, big periods of market drawdowns, what it was like, what it was like after, how this one was kind of different. And uh, we'll probably take a couple of different directions. So um, to get started off, let me just talk a little bit about Pinnacle Trust. For those of you that are first-time listeners um, and don't know, Stacy, our CEO, founded the company more than 20 years ago. Um, de- decided he wanted to do uh, do the business a different way than it was being done uh, at the time, whereas he wanted our clients and, uh, and the company to be on the same side of the table so that literally we were looking out for our clients' best interests by also looking out for our best interest. So uh, when our clients have success in their savings and investments, the company has success. And when uh, our clients feel market downturns, like we felt at the beginning of this year, you know, we're in the same boat. So our income is tied uh, to our client's portfolio. So it, it, it's in our best interest to protect and grow our client's savings because it protects and grows our income. So if you've been doing it on your own for the last, well, however long, and especially in the last several months, and you've got knots in your stomach, and you say, hey, maybe I want someone to give me a hand with this, give us a call, 601-957-0323. You can reach us uh, on through email as well at info at com. Also, I could not do a shameless plug, or I would be wrong if I didn't do a shameless plug here. If you haven't liked us on Facebook or Instagram, uh, go search for us, Mind on My Money podcast, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Give us a like, give us a follow. Uh, you can keep up with us there. We're really active. Uh, also, can communicate with us there. Uh, and also, go over to our Facebook page for the company, Pinnacle Trust. Uh, like us and follow us there. And uh, we're really active on social media. So, But if you don't like the social media and you would prefer to pick up the old-fashioned phone and call us, 601-957-0323 or info at PINNtrust.com. Stacy, welcome back to the show, my friend. Martin, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be back. And so, yeah, Neil said he has not, it's been years since he's taken an entire week off and he was going totally, totally off the unplugged. grid. Yeah, that's what he said. That he, had, he had not gone off the grid and totally unplugged in, in a while, which is healthy. And hell, I think all of us could... 
<laughs> could use a week off of the grid at the moment. We could with the times we've been going through. Right, I, I'm I'm jealous. Um, and, but I respected him. I hadn't texted him or <laughs> anything. I might get tempted later on in the week. I don't just know. To see. Just to see if he'll, if he's actually just doing to see what he's doing. If he'll respond, you know. And then we're gonna be like, dude, you failed. You didn't do it. Or or I might just I might just DM his wife Laura. We're friends on Facebook and Instagram and. And just see and what check and see if he's really off of the grid. Yeah, see what happens. Yeah. But anyway, it's it's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't I don't even think we talked about where he was going. I'm sure they're having fun. I think it's the beach. Are. I think uh, it's I think it's beach. I am definitely jealous. I would I would love to be listening to the waves crashing in. Absolutely. At the absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about um these have been crazy times. I mean, that's not news to to anyone. And I think, uh, I know I caught a lot of flack back in, uh, back in March when I wrote an article saying that these were unprecedented times. Um, I think that has come to fruition <laughs> that that was actually a true statement. So all of those people who gave me social media grief telling me I needed to read my history book and that I didn't know history and these were not unprecedented and we had been through stuff like this before. Um, I think, we have Martin one social media PhD historical experts zero <laughs> um, unprecedented times. I mean, can you think of any time in, in your career when things have just been this crazy, this fast and things have happened on almost no information and data? No, no. Uh, so I'll go through the, financial crisis in my career. I started in 1982 and you and, and most of our listeners will remember that that was about the time when one of the greatest bull markets we ever had started and ran until 2000. Um, we did have the, the crash in 1987, yep. which seems like a blip, which on the was crazy. Um, but the market rebounded, and, and, you know, it actually finished positive for the year. I don't know if people remember that. Yeah, probably not. Probably most most listeners, unless they are, you know, in their late 50s or older, probably most listeners were not investors at that time, so they may not remember it. Yeah, but it was crazy nonetheless. Yeah. And then, you know, everything went great until 2000. And then we had another bear market, 2001 2000, 2001, 2002. Yep. And it was more of a gradual decline with the exception of the NASDAQ, which just got creamed. I think top to bottom lost maybe 90 something percent of its value. Yeah. And we'll talk about the NASDAQ too, because it's done something <clears throat> it's, insane this time. So exactly. But yeah. Kind of a tale of two different stories there. But, but the Dow and the S and P from what I remember, it was just a gradual decline, but it was nearly three years. I, I remember clients, calling me when their statements would come out and go, am I ever going to get a statement that I actually had have more money now <laughs> than I had the quarter before? Because yep. it was just a gradual decline. Of course, then we rebounded and took off again. Then we had the, the Great Recession in, in 08 and 09, um, and a huge rebound since then. But nothing like this. And, and when you combine... I mean, we've got a virus that I've, I've never been through anything like that. The social unrest that we're going through yep. that is is unprecedented to me. I was I was young during the civil rights 
era. Right. Um, but it, it's just, it's crazy times, man. It's just crazy times. Yeah. And I mean, and so the things you talked about, not only are, have we had, you know, these major financial meltdowns, but we've had literally social meltdowns at the same time. And then the virus all on top of it, which of course is, you know, the ultimate catalyst for, you know, these financial meltdowns. And then, you know, some of the biggest uh, obstacles now is trying to figure out, you know, how does the economy, how do, how do we continue on with, is social distancing here to stay? Are we, you know, in existence with the virus? Is there going to be a, you know, a, a treatment plan for it? Is there going to be a vaccine? You know, all of that still kind of up in the air. It looks like we're moving that way, but essentially until something like that happens, we're just figuring out, you know, how do we live with this thing? How do we coexist? And then how do businesses coexist with, um, you know, with the virus and still bring in revenue? I think that's the biggest unknown that we have yeah, at the and, moment. And I liked um, Dr. Alan Jones, who's been a yep. guest on the podcast several times. The last time he was on, he, he talked about we've got to learn to coexist with COVID. Yep. And and that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think we're, I think we're starting to learn to do that. I know my wife and I have learned, and you know we wash our hands frequently. We wear masks um, whenever we go out, and you practice social distancing. So, um, but but I'm I'm nervous about. And kudos to our investment committee that you head up. Um, because during the decline, you guys bought stocks on the way down. Yep, we did. Rode them back up, and then you you took some profits and went back to a neutral position. Yep. And that, you know, the I, I've learned through the other financial crisis, you look at objective data to make your decisions. But w- one way that makes it easy is the more your stomach hurts. The, the more time, yeah. you ought to be buying stocks. Yep. And and my stomach was hurting like it did in 08 and 09. But you guys did a great job with that. But now you've gone back to a neutral position. And there's just so many things that going forward can happen on the good side or the bad side. It's just yeah. – so it's kind of a scary time for me right now, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners. Yeah, you know, and, and I appreciate the – the compliment on the, on the podcast too. Uh, we did, we, we rebalanced three times. We actually rebalanced at the bottom, um, as well on the 23rd of March. That was our last rebalance where we, so for our listeners that don't understand what that is, you know, when the markets were falling, uh, that would mean that the stock portions of the portfolio would become a smaller piece of the portfolio because it was losing value. So essentially when we would rebalance, we would go back to, the weights that we were supposed to be at. So in essence, we were doing exactly what you're supposed to do in investing, which is buy low and then at some point, you know, sell high. So we bought low three times. Uh, we caught the bottom on March 23rd as well was our final rebalance. Um, we did, uh, we did ride all the way, you know, all the way back up and we ended up rebalancing back to a neutral, um, you know, a neutral weighting with stocks, um, pretty close to the top. We were about 150 points off, uh, the S and P 500, uh, top for now, of course, you know, that'll keep growing. So essentially what we did was when the market came back, we were over, we were significantly overweight. I mean, I say significantly significant for our, you know, portfolio, we were 10, 
you know, five, 10% overweight in stocks and all across all of our strategies. And, um, and then, so we took profits and went back to our normal weight. Yeah, you but know, what, what now? Yeah. That, that's kind of the hard, that's kind of the hard thing is I think that, that now is when just diversification is so important because if you look at what markets have, just what markets have done this year, I mean, let's not talk about the slide. Everyone know that happened, but just a divergence of different returns. So the S and P 500 is still off of its highs, but it's only down like 3%, you know, um, for the year, right? Where the Dow Jones is down, you know, almost still almost down 10% for the year, not off of the highs, you know, for the year from where we started. Cause you got to remember we started off with, um, you know, January was a pretty, was a, was a good month. I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, plus 5% or anything like that. It was a good month. And then February kind of started getting shaky and we started really getting the decline started right around Valentine's because I know that, I know that was around the time it was because Jen and I were at Disney world um, (laughs) when the market started falling. And the crazy thing is, is the market fell, you know, from top to bottom, the S and P from top to bottom was about a 35% decline and that happened, that started right around Valentine's Day, and the bottom was March 23rd. So That's incredibly fast. That was incredibly fast. It was like a ninja came in in the middle of the night and chopped everyone up while they were sleeping. You know, and then pe- it's like, it's hard to make decisions based on material fact because information, even though information moves very quickly today because of the internet and whatnot, information doesn't move that fast. It was, that was a total fear sell-off. People were... Right. Scared to death of the virus. Didn't know it was going to happen. Um, and then so that the melt back up, you know, think about March 23rd to now, that's, you know, that's three full months and we're still not even back to the top. Um, and in the S&P, which, you know, most people think the S&P and the Dow are one and the same and they're not. Yeah. So, um, so let me interrupt you for a second yeah, yeah. because, and then you had the NASDAQ. Yeah. Which, which is smoking everywhere. Cause that's a tech heavy Tech heavy index, the Nasdaq 100. Is, okay, that 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 be kind of jumping into my question, which yeah. is good. So, how much is the Nasdaq up for the year? It's up. It's up like 12 percent for the year, which is crazy. Because markets you said aren't the even. The Dow's down 10. Down 10. The S and P's down three. Kind of in between. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, explain to our listeners why. Yeah. So. If you kind of think about what what really worked or what companies have done well during quarantine, it was mostly tech-related companies. So let's just talk about the big boys, right? So Amazon has done very, very well, which that doesn't need much explanation. People understand why right. Amazon. All you, you have know, to do is look on my front porch every day, and you'll understand yeah, why. I think there was a box out there when, yeah. <laughs> when I was pulling up. Um, you know, Amazon did really, really well. Uh, you know, names like Facebook um, have done well. And, and then things that you wouldn't think about, like, you know, at-home exercise technology, like Peloton, um, you know, has done really, really well. Zoom technologies, which, you know, companies were scrambling to figure out how do they, you know, interact with their clients during a time of quarantine and social distancing. So the answer was a solution that Zoom provided. I mean, it's up like 250%. Um, you know, in that short period of time and then kind of crazy things you think about, I don't think of Lululemon as a tech company right? because they are, uh, you know, they are, they're clothing, they're fashion, but 
if you kind of look at it, it's weird what happened to sales. You know, when folks weren't buying business clothes to go to work, they were buying comfortable clothes to work in from home. Um, that makes so, sense. You know, a lot of, instead of buying, you know, slacks and shirts and suits, you know, and a lot of folks who were accustomed to having slacks and shirts and suits in their closet when they've been now work for home. And you got to think a lot of tech companies have said, we're working from home, you know, through 2021. Um, and so, you know, you're not going to get up every morning and go take a shower and put your suit on to sit at your, <laughs> right. your desk. To, so Lululemon was a big Although limit. we did today, right? Um, yes. <laughs> yes, we are in not exactly. suit and we're in a three piece suit and tie and no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're in, we are in our appropriate work attire. We both have pants on. And, and, and we look good from the waist up. That's right. That's right. That's right. But you know, things like there were things like that you wouldn't think about that were big winners. And then you had companies like Tesla and you go, why, why would Tesla be, you know, a big winner during quarantine? Well, it wasn't that people were out buying, you know, purchasing new Teslas, but what was the big thing that happened that was associated with Elon Musk, you know, that happened kind of during quarantine? I mean, SpaceX launched two astronauts off of this earth, which, which right now those two dudes look like geniuses, right? They right. left, they left this craziness. Yeah. And, uh, um, so when was, are they coming back? Maybe, hopefully they stay till quarantine. They're is, just like, we're good. Yeah, we'll, we're going to hang out. We'll up let here you know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good question though. But you know, the big winners were, um, you know, were a lot of companies that were, that were really, uh, adaptable to, um, to, to the environment. Um, you know, Walmart was a big winner during, um, you know, during quarantine because they were able to once they were able to stay open, but they also had their online platforms. You know, Netflix did well. Grocery store chains. Grocery stores did well. Yep, they did well during quarantine. Um, but you know, like your normal big box retailers, you know, they didn't they didn't do well. Restaurants didn't do well. Um, you know, transportation and hospitality got hurt pretty bad. And I mean, even though there's opportunities there, if you're willing to hang on to them for, you know, for a little while, you were able to buy companies like Delta airlines, which is realistically not going anywhere. They have a, you know, they're a strong company, but you're going to have to wait for, you know, the value to get come out of that. So what, what I'm changing subjects a little bit, but if I don't, I'll forget. Um, I've read about day traders coming back into the markets. And then even that, um, read somewhere that you can't gamble on sports now. Maybe that's a contributing yeah. factor, but tell us about that. Yeah. I, and well, there was a huge article about, um, there was a guy that was trading on the Robin hood platform and he was trading options, which is different. I mean, a lot of times that's what day traders will trade options and, you know, in individual stocks. And that's where you're trying to, you know, you'll, you'll buy and sell inside of the day or within two days or three days. If you think that you're going to get a, you know, a pop and it really, in essence, is not much different than gambling. Um, because a lot of times these guys that are day trading, they're not looking at, you know, the value of companies. They're looking at momentum of a company or momentum of a stock. You know, is something moving because, you know, news is pushing it? Or is there a – and you saw it a lot in the biotech companies, you know, recently where there would be a news that, you know, Sorrento has a, uh, a treatment for – the coronavirus and it's going to, you know, it's going through FDA approval. And then you would see that company stock shoot up 200% in a day. And then inevitably something would happen 
and FDA would pause or whatever. And then the stock value would just plummet again. And so you saw people taking, that's not really investing. That is, you're gambling at that point. And, Absolutely. You're and, gambling. Uh, and, and, and for those day traders out there who may be listening and maybe I'll get some pushback on this, but so I've been doing this for longer than I care to almost 40 years. Yeah. And I have never, ever personally known a, an individual who made money trading. I do know of a guy, because this reminds me of the 08, 09. Yeah. Because in, in 06 and 07, it's going straight up. And I personally knew a guy who was day trading, and he was using options and butterfly spreads and all this sophisticated stuff. And he thought he was really smart. And as long as the market was going up, doing he was doing great. Yeah. And he literally told me that he turned $100,000 into $2 million in a matter of few months. But then when it reversed, he lost every bit of it. Yeah. Well, you know, and the other thing too, that I don't think a lot of day people think, and some, some people might, let's just, let's take that guy. For example, let's say it was, you took a hundred thousand dollars and you turned it into 2 million in a matter of six months. Right. And let's say that you were smart enough to say, Hey, I'm walking away from the table with my $2 million. Which right? nobody does, but no one does. Uh, right. But let's just pretend that you had that much, that you were satisfied with two million and you walked away. Well, so everything that you've generated gains wise is going to be short term capital gains. So when it comes tax time, the IRS is going to eat your lunch. Right. For it. So you don't have two million dollars. You might have made two million bucks, but after you pay taxes, you know you're going to have a which I'm okay with. If I take a hundred thousand dollars and I pay taxes and I have a million left, I'm. I, that's a great year. For, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know anyone. I don't personally know anyone who's, and there may be people out there and we would love to hear from you. If you're out there, shoot us a message on Facebook or, or, uh, or Instagram or Twitter and, and tell us how you did it, which strategies, maybe we'll get you a guest as a guest on here and, and, uh, and talk about how you did it. Cause I just don't know. Long term investing is, is just that's that is the best recipe for success, you know. And I guess those old cliches about, you know, easy does it, slow and steady, you know, wins the race. It's just having a plan, sticking to the plan, not letting times like these where, you know, the market totally, you know, kind of craps the bed, and then you lose your mind and 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 sell out. And we had a couple of clients that, you know, that were really nervous and they called and. I just kept telling them, just look, I know it doesn't seem like the right thing to do, but staying put is the right thing to do. Did they listen to you? Most did. I had two that didn't and went to cash. And I have one that keeps going to cash. And it's almost, this is awful to say, but he's my barometer of what to do opposite of what he does. Right. So if he goes to cash, that's when you should invest. He's, you're contrarian. He is my little indicator. Yeah. <laughs> he's my little contrarian indicator. And so when he's when he's ready to invest, that's when I know we need to pull off of we need to take some profits and and <laughs> and go back to a, a neutral weight. And then when he gets when he's had enough and he's like, okay, I'm I want to go to cash. That's when you know we need to turn open the spigot up and back the truck up and. <laughs> And, and go all in. And I've heard you say this before, and, and you've talked about um, 
it's about time in the market. Yeah. Um, but, and, and you've also talked about, which I've said for years, getting out is only half of the equation. That's right. When you get out, if, if you, if you buy a stock at 10 and it goes to 20 and you go, I'm taking my profits cause it's gone up. When it dips back down, I'm going to buy some more and then it goes to 22 and then you go, well, I guess I missed that, but it'll go back to 20. And when it goes back to 20, I'll get back in. And then it goes to 24. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's to me, the second decision is always the The hardest. hardest. Yep. And that's the, it's, it's the almost impossible one. You can be right. You have to be right twice when you're timing. You have to be right when you're in and right when you're out or do the reverse of it right when you're out and you have to be right again to go back in. And most people just can't. And that, that saying, you know, time in the market is more important than timing the market is true. Because if you go look, I mean, let's just look at your career. Let's say we start from 1980. And if we looked at the S&P 500 index or the Dow Jones index on 1980, and then we looked at it today and ignored all of the, you know, the, up, the ups and downs, the 87 crash, ignore the, you know, the tech bubble crash, ignore the 2000, you know, the 9-11 hiccup, ignore 2008, ignore this. So we're going to ignore all of the downs. And if we said, if we looked at that, there would be, you could draw a line that's going to go, if you start at the, at the 1980, I would guarantee you that it would start moving up and to the right all the way to 2020. And you don't have to be right on when, you just have to be right on that you start doing it and that you continue to add money when you can, you know, save in your retirement plans, you know, put cash away. That is, that is a better recipe for success than, you know, cause also what happens is people get this little false sense of, you know, accomplishment and, and security of that. Hey, they made a good trade and they got this thing figured out. Yeah. You might've gotten lucky once, but try to repeat that process over and over and over again. And, and, and most of the people like have careers that they do that are not, investment management. So, right. And, and while I said, I've never personally known anyone that made their fortune trading in the stock market. I know hundreds. I know so many people that have saved. They've met with us. We've come up with a plan and we stuck to the plan. We revisited it regularly and they saved when they could as you said and over time they did create a lot of wealth and they are living a comfortable retirement right now or they're on the verge of a comfortable retirement um it's it's so important to plan How, how many times do we talk about that but that's what works yep discipline planning discipline investing you know, and most people have the greatest tool, or I say most people, a lot of tool, a lot of people in the U.S. have the greatest tool ever for amassing savings, you know, at their job, and that's their 401k. I mean, nowhere else, if, so if your employer gives you an option to, um, you know, participate, and they're going to match up to, uh, let's just say the match is 5%, right? They're going to match you dollar for dollar for 5%. If you put in 5%, every year you get a 100% return before, before the market even does its thing, because you've put in a dollar, 
and your employer put in a dollar. That is, that is a hundred percent return. There's nowhere else. you Nowhere can get else. That. Yeah. I was about to say, I can't guarantee you a hundred percent return, but your employer can guarantee you a hundred percent return on your dollar if they match, um, you know, your savings. And that's, that's the greatest tool that people have. And a lot of people don't use it. Or some folks will say, Oh, Hey, I'm going to put in, you know, 1% or 2% or whatever, at least get the match. And, and yeah, but you're right. You know, proper planning provides you opportunities for, you know, a comfortable and dignified retirement, but, you know, playing the day trading game or trying to gamble is not a good plan for, for saving and, and amassing wealth. So, so where do we go from here, Martin? As I said, when, when the market was, was taking a dive in the first quarter, um, and when my stomach was hurting, yep. in spite of the fact that my stomach was hurting, I knew from experience, you just got to buy. And, and I would tell you and I would tell the investment team, you know, just my opinion that, you know, every market decline in throughout history has been followed by an even larger recovery. Correct. So I'm just going on. Look, guys, I don't know if we hit 30,000 this year or if it's two years from now or when, yep. but we're, It'll it's, it's going to come back. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm a buyer. Um, but now we got a recovery. Yep. We're kind of in choppy stuff. We're in choppy You could stuff. come up with reasons why the market should go higher. Like yeah. their interest rates are zero. So there's no place else to put your money. That's correct. One, but that's you, one reason you can come up with reasons why, the market could just tank. I mean, if, yeah. if the recovery doesn't, if it disappoints because of the virus or yep. whatever, um, prolonged virus could do that. Who knows what the presidential elections huge, going to be huge factor in whether markets. Right. Move so up to me, it's a more nervous time now than it was when, when we had tanked yep. 20 to 30%. So, you know, we have, and I've talked about it before, but, we have hedges in the portfolio to, to help when there's periods of sharp declines that are unexpected to kind of help soften those blows. I always refer to it as the insurance in the portfolio. Um, and so the insurance did its job in, you know, in February and March and really kind of dampened the blow. And we took the hedges off in March. Um, and we let, (laughs) we went overweight and we let things run and we've now got, you know, we've got the hedges back in the, I think that the most important thing that people can do right now is it in times of choppiness or when there's uncertainty, diversification is, is more important than it's ever been. Now we can get into the merits of, you know, does the stock portion of the portfolio, is it slightly tilted towards, you know, a growth type uh, investment strategy? Is it more tilted towards a value type investment strategy, which is getting a little technical? So there's a bunch of these little knobs that we turn inside of the portfolio as well. Our, most of our clients have no idea that we're doing, but proper diversification right now is more important than ever. There's a huge divergence in returns, even among the largest stocks. And we talked about it because, you know, the NASDAQ stocks were are up 12% right now, 10, 12%. The S&P 500 stocks are you know, down three-ish percent for the year. And then the Dow Jones stocks are down almost 10%. They're all large 
companies. They're not little fly by the seat of their pants type companies. And there's been a huge divergence in returns, meaning that not everything is created equal. So when you have no idea what's going to work and what's not going to work, you just have to buy everything. You have to diversify. That is your insurance. And even bonds went crazy and quirky, um, you know, during, during the downturn, you had so much people going to cash instead of buying bonds, buying, you know, uh, not buying stocks, but buying bonds. You had, you know, cash was huge and cash is still huge right now. There's, if you look at what's called the M2 money supply for our nation, we have more cash in, in checking accounts, money markets, you know, uh, cash type accounts and investment strategies than we've, than we've ever had. So at some point too, that's a huge, uh, positive for the stock market is that cash is going to come off of the sidelines. And just like you said, interest rates are so low, it's not going to bonds. Cause if you, you're to tell me right now, if I said, Stacy, I'm gonna hold a gun to your head and you, you have two investment choices with your cash. You can either buy a 10 year U S government treasury bond and I'm going to, you have to hold it for 10 years or else, you know, you could lose some of your money and I'm going to pay you 0.6 to 0.7% interest mm-hmm. on that. Or I'll allow you to buy, and I'll use the S and P 500. I don't, I won't even use the Dow because the Dow has a lot larger income yield, or I'm going to force you to buy the S and P 500 index and the dividend, the income that you will get from the S and P 500 index is still at 2%. So almost triple the amount of interest that you could get on the two year, on the 10 year treasury bond, which is considered like, you know, a quote unquote safe investment. If I hold a gun to your head and I say, Stacy, you got to buy groceries. You got to put gas in your car in retirement. You've got to pay your bills in retirement. Are you taking 0.6% interest? Or are you taking two? Which one? You don't even have to hold a gun to my head. I right. mean, that- that's an obvious answer. You go with the S and P 500 and, and uh, a lot of investors have done that for a lot of years yeah, now. We saw it in 2009. <clears throat> same. I mean, almost same scenario setting up with what the fed did. The fed just acted a lot faster this time, which, you know, was, was awesome. You know, I think that the fed did, you know, I was kind of critical of the fed initially. I was, I was like, Oh, they, they shot their, sorry, I'm getting stuff through the computer. I said, you know, they shot their load too early. They they shot their bullets too early um, when they started raise, uh, lowering interest rates back in March. Truth of the matter is, is I was we even said it on this podcast. I was like, do they know something we don't know? And clearly they did. Right. Clearly they knew this was going to be a lot deeper and cut was going to be a lot deeper than than we thought it was. So kudos to the Fed. They did a great job and you know in trying to control. You know, and unemployment is one of the things they have to control. You know, inflation is another thing they have to control. But then also the sustainability of, you know, of the U.S. from an economic standpoint, you know, they control that through trying to keep inflation in check, trying to keep unemployment or employment at full employment, which, of course, we're not right now, but we'll get back there, you know, at some point. So, so yeah, they didn't leave us much options and they haven't left investors many options going forward, um, you know, 0.6 percent or two percent in growth so so here's a really tough question that i've struggled with for years um because we have not in the united states done a good job of balancing our budget i think president yep. clinton was the last to have a balanced president budget. that had a balanced budget um and we had times before then 
where we were running deficits. And now, not only in the U.S., but it seems like globally, it's just gotten crazy. It just seems like, you know, uh, I'm a baby boomer, and one of the things that, that, that hurt the baby boomers was credit. Was credit. Yeah. You know, my parents, if they didn't have the money to buy something, they did without it until they could save and buy it. And then with baby boomers, it was like, well, if I can't afford it, there's six. I just got six applications for credit cards in the mailbox today. I'll just borrow it. Um, but but now, on, on a global stage, it seems like there's so much debt. What what happens? Yeah. Well, at some point, there's a day of reckoning, right? Like that debt comes due. Um, we have like so all of the stimulus that's that's happened. Let's just talk about the U.S. specifically. All the stimulus that's happened just for the coronavirus stuff has, I mean, way surpassed the stimulus in, in 2008. And, and there's supposedly going to be a second round of stimulus coming late summer. I have no idea what that's going to look like. Um, you know, but at some point, like the, the piper has to be paid. Someone's going to have to pay for it. So let's talk about, let's just, let's just have a rational discussion on where does that come from? So, they can one one avenue is taxes, right? That's the easy that's the easy one to say. It's like okay, well, we'll just raise taxes to to pay for the benefits that you know that everyone received. So where are they going to raise it from? Is it going to be you know in payroll? Is it going to be you know the federal tax rates for individuals? We just killed our corporate tax rate to level the playing field for U.S. companies versus global companies. So is, is someone going to take the corporate tax rate back up? And then there's kind of a, a waterfall effect or a ripple effect that happens if that happens, right? So if someone, I mean, let's just say Pinnacle was a, you know, a Fortune 100 company and, you know, we were domiciled in Mississippi and we pay U.S. federal tax taxes at a rate of 21% now. But like, let's say that, let's say they go back to where they were and they're at, you know, 37, 38%. Well, and then we look and we go, well, gosh, man, we could go to the Bahamas and we could domicile in the Bahamas and pay right. significantly less taxes. So the risk there is that there's an expatriation of revenue and taxes because taxes go up there. It's a lot easier for a business to do a reverse merger with a, a foreign company and get the domicile of that company, whether it's Ireland or the Bahamas or the British Virgin Islands. And then that revenue is gone, done. And because you saw actually a repatriation of revenue when Trump cut corporate tax rates to to 21%, companies are like, well, we would prefer to be in the U.S. because, you know, that's where we're from. That's where we do business. That's where you know, our corporate, quote, unquote, headquarters is. But now we have no reason to be outside the U.S. So we'll, we'll be patriots. We'll pay our U.S. taxes. The second those taxes go up, I've got to believe that you're going to see, you would see you know, expatriation of companies again. So those are, those are really the, the main two ways that, you know, it's going to be individual or corporate taxes are going to have to go up. And it's probably not going to be on you or your age group that will end up paying the piper for it. It'll may not even be, it'll be my age group, you know, on the latter side, but it's really going to be my kids are going to be the ones that are my grandchildren. Your grandchildren are going to be paying 
for the sins of their grandfather. <laughs> that sounded <laughs> awful. <laughs> and I mean, it's kind of, and I'm sure that it'll keep the getting sins of their down. grandfather's generation, not their grandfather personally. Personally, yes. Um, but you know, that's that's at some point. It's just like running a personal house. I mean, you know, if you are spending more than you make in a year, you can sustain it for a little while. You know, you could shuffle the deck. You could, you know, go take out a line of credit here. You could, you know, go get a credit card here. You can move the chairs on the deck of the Titanic, you know, a little bit. But at some point, banks are going to stop lending to you. Credit card companies, your your credit card's going to be maxed out. They're going to stop lending to you. The, the last ditch effort is you're going to go to a loan shark and they're going to say, yeah, well, we'll loan you the money, but I'm going to charge you 30% interest. Okay. Let me play the devil's advocate because I've heard this from people for years and years. Yeah. The only difference Martin is the United States government can print money and I can't. Okay. That is true. That is true. So the risk that we have there is is inflation. So let's talk about what inflation actually is at its core. Inflation is that you don't trust the value of that dollar anymore because it's just so easily printed that instead of, you know, let's say you're going to sell me a gallon of milk for $5. Well, if we just keep printing money, you believe that, well, the $5 is not actually worth what $5 used to be. So now I don't want $5 for that gallon of milk. I'm going to charge you 10 for me to be satisfied with you know, with that gallon of milk. So what ends up happening is this ripple effect happens as more money is printed and our balance sheets get bigger and bigger. It's just a lack of faith or a loss of faith that the value of the U.S. dollar truly is what it is. So inflation is a real, it's a real thing. It's a real enemy. I mean, we talk about it on a year-to-year basis. Like, hey, you know, the cost of goods and services go up by 2%, 2 to 3% each year. And that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Like that's just normal cost of living adjustment inflation. I'm talking about, you know, Germany post World War One when they were having to make reparations, you know, for all the damage they did in World War One, and the German mark was essentially worthless. And you would see people taking their marks, and I say see people. I didn't. I mean, said to the woman that told me I don't know history, I'm giving her a history lesson. <laughs> um. You know, people would be leaving the banks with German marks in the wheelbarrow and someone would steal the wheelbarrow, dump the marks out and run off with the wheelbarrow. People were starting fires in their homes with with the cash because it was worth less than, you know, than the paper or or, you know, or wood. So what ends up happening is people just lose faith that the value of the dollar is what it is. A more recent example is in Venezuela, um, you know, with everything went to turmoil and it was political turmoil, you know, also when oil, Venezuela is a very natural resource rich country. So when the price of oil really devalued, that was what drove their economy. Uh, So people, you know, and, and Venezuela was just printing money, um, you know, trying to, to print their way out of, you know, an, of an oil crisis that became an economic crisis, which was a political crisis. And then you had a, you know, a change of regime in the government, but, uh, I read an article, I think I've, I've, I've said it on the podcast, so I read an article, it was about um, this orphanage at one of the Catholic churches in Venezuela, where they were ta- they would take up offerings each week to feed the orphans, and 
the offerings they would take up each week would would be enough for them to buy, you know, eggs and all the stuff they needed for breakfast for the week for the boys at the orphanage. And then once hyperinflation kicked in and people lost faith in the value of the currency, uh, then they were still collecting the same amount of dollars in the offering plates at the church, but they were only to buy, only able to buy one day's worth of eggs versus seven days worth of eggs. Right. So just the cost of goods just skyrocket so quickly because people don't trust that the dollar is going to be worth, you know, in the afternoon, what it was worth in the morning. And that's when you hit this crazy hyperinflation. You see it in a lot of South American countries. You've seen it in Argentina as well. Um, and then, so if you look at their corporate debt, you know, where the government's trying to raise money from investors to get cash, like outside cash, not their currency into the country, the the government has to pay outrageous interest rates to entice someone to take the risk of you know of buying their their debt because it essentially could end up worthless right but two questions one what's the worst that it's ever been in the in the United States in terms of inflation and and not another question but a comment because i think for most of our listeners they they hear about what happens in Venezuela or some of these other countries, but they think that that won't ever happen here. Yeah. This is the United States. This is the biggest economy in the world by far, and I, I just I can't imagine that happening here. I mean, the last time that I can think outside of like natural disasters where there was like temporary inflation in certain areas. I think the last time that you really saw it where people would actually remember it, and I don't because I wasn't alive during the time, was, um, you know, during the 1970s and then some of, you know, some of the 80s where, you know, you had the gasoline shortages. The cost of gasoline was ridiculous, uh, ridiculously high. There was, you know, uh, mandates or there was, you know, maximums on the amount of gas that you could get. Um, there were shortages there, so it drives the price you know, up because of lack of, of supply that poured over into the eighties where you were seeing savings rates at, you know, banks would give you a CD or, you know, you could get a CD from the bank for 15%, but, but your same, mortgage was 18%. Yeah. That's right? what I'm about to say. Same at the same time, your mortgage, you know, was 18%. So, um, you know, it's, that is what the fed's job is. And I think the reason we haven't seen any crazy inflation like that, you know, because you really kind of think back to, you know, who was who was running the Fed at those times. It was like guys like Volcker and Alan Greenspan who kind of kind of tried to keep our economy in check and keep it balanced out between, um, you know, that that we don't have hyperinflation, but then we also have, you know, full employment. And also, what happens is when you have full employment, that sometimes that stokes a little bit of inflation because everybody more people have money in their pockets so they have more to spend so they'll become these little price you don't see it run rampant but they'll become these little price wars where folks will say hey uh i'm now both of my people in my household are fully employed and we're making better money than we used to so i'm willing to upgrade my my house and i like the house in you know such and such neighborhood or you know even look at the price of cars you know, how much the, the price of vehicles have changed in, hell, just the last 20 years. Um, you know, people have more spending power now than they do. So there's a little bit of 
a rise in personal spending power, and that causes a, a bit of a rise in, in, fl- in inflation with prices, but it's not like a hyperbolic change where like the Zimbabwe examples or right. the Venezuela or the German, you know, post-World War One Germany. And I mean, and hell, talk about what happened after post-World War One Germany. Mass poverty, huge unemployment, a Great Depression in Germany led to the rise of, you know, the Nazi, the, you know, the Nazi party, you know, Hitler got people brainwashed into saying, hey, you're starving because your government failed you and all of these things. And, you know, I'm the way I'm the savior. I'll show you what to do. And, you know, people were so destitute and hurting that they were listening to, to crazy stuff. And that's how crazy that, I mean, most time, if you look at how dictators come into power preceding their rise to power was a a great depression and hyperinflation economic crisis. Absolutely. And I mean, and not that that's going to happen here, but I look at it and I'm like, dang man, that's, you know, we've got, you know, an economic crisis that, could get worked out pretty quickly, you know, assuming that, that people just have it's as as quickly as people can lose fear of doing business and getting out into their normal lives, this economic insanity will be over. And but I don't think people will do it until we have a a vaccine or a treatment. Right. And I gave a talk way back in the nineties. And I still have it if no one believes me. I'll show it to you. It wasn't any kind of great prediction or anything, but I I did talk about the greatest generation. Yep. How they saved and worked hard and, and every generation prior to the greatest generation, their, their overwhelming goal in life was to do whatever they could so that their children could have an opportunity for a better life than they did. Right. Right. And then we got to the baby boomers, which I'm guilty. And all of a sudden, the I don't know if the light switched or what, but the baby boomer said, hey, we can have both. I can give my kids all this stuff now. I can give me all this stuff now because I can just borrow Leverage. the money. I can just leverage it up. And it worked for a while, right? Yeah. I mean, while you're borrowing the money, it's Life great. Good. You yeah. know? It's when you have to start paying it back. Anyway, the, the focus of the talk, and I gave a few talks back then around, and I would poll people in the audience, do you think that America's best days are ahead or behind? And I noted that, and I'm, I wish I was a lot better historian than I am. That, that's the one thing I would do different going back to college is I, I would take a lot more history classes because I, I enjoy history. Um, but in the absence of military defeat, which certainly doesn't seem likely anytime soon in this country. Yeah, not to me. Historically, great civilizations their decline, and it always happens, I think, if I'm right, throughout history, the Romans, uh, whoever, the decline is very gradual. And it's not noticed by a lot of people until until it gets severe. And I wonder if maybe we're on that decline, and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer or... 
Yeah. Um, I'm going to say our best days are ahead of us. Um, you know, America is a, America is a young country. I mean, we're young, scrappy and hungry as they say in, in Hamilton. Um, I think our best days are ahead of us. You know, I look at the rest of the world and I say, you know, we've got problems here. I don't deny that at all, but I look at the rest of the world and I say, is there any other place in the world where I would want to live, where I would want to, you know, my kids to grow up No. and I would be lying if I said that there was, and I mean, in my dad's family being Cuban, you know, I very much look at, you know, what happens when, when freedom is, is, is taken from you and liberties are taken from you. And, and I know that I'm not getting into the politics of, you know, that equal equality and all that stuff. Like I realize that there's, that there's inequality that exists in the United States and I'm not in denial about that, but even our poorest people here in the United States, if they were dropped into another country would be amongst the wealthier or the, the, or the more fortunate than, you know, than, than other countries. And that's the thing about like communism in Cuba is there is equality in Cuba. Everyone is equally destitute and poor. Uh, everyone was equally, you know, damaged by, by Castro. Uh, there's there, that there is equality. Right. But we, we might be confusing two things because if you ask me today where I'd want to live, there's no question. I want to live right here in the United States in Mississippi. Um, no, and we are the greatest country in spite of everything that's going on now. I still believe we're the greatest country in the history of civilization, certainly now. Proudly flew my flag over the, uh, the holiday weekend, July 4th weekend. But do I think my grandchildren are going to have a better life than I've got right now? I, I would bet against it. I think I think they will. It, it'll be different. I hope so. It'll be different. I think they will, man. I, I think, so. uh, you know, the one of the things about you know, I look at like the millennial generation too, which I'm a cusper. I'm a Gen X millennial cusp, so I fall right into that. You know, half of my education was in the library with the Dewey Decimal Systems and looking up books and doing research paper like going and grabbing books out of the library, putting all my ideas together on note cards, handwriting the paper. I did that, but then I also had the, you know, by the time I was a senior in high school, you know, we, we had learned how to use the internet and write papers on, I had a typing class where I had to learn how to you know type on the computer, learn how to write stuff and research on the computer. So, so what you're saying is you can claim either generation at any given time that the, the one that's me. most popular. Yeah. The one that suits <laughs> me best. Uh, and it's kind of, it's kind of true. You know, we're the Oregon trail generation, um, you know, and uh, millennials have, uh, there's a lot of, they get a lot of bad rep, but you know, think about, think about the lifetime of a millennial. Let's just say the, let's look at the oldest millennials and I'm going to use my brother for an example. So he was born in 1987. He graduates high school, uh, you know, in like 2003, 2004. So just off the heels of 9-11, um, you know, into an economy that there was jobs available. And he was graduating high school. So he, if he would have done what everyone says to do and you go to college and you spend another four years in college, you graduate high school right into 2008. So worst 
worst recession that ever he's ever experienced that, you know, many people have ever experienced into a job market where there's, you know, no jobs, people are losing their homes. They're seeing, you know, foreclosures, they're seeing their buddies, you know, that were spent all this money on education, not being able to find jobs, just kind of a real emotionally and mentally depressing time to be like coming of age and coming into the world. And, and there were late starters, you know, a lot of millennials, uh, ended up living with their parents, you know, for a longer period of time because they couldn't get, they couldn't get it together. And now they're finally starting to. So I think the millennial generation is really kind of not by fault of their own, but just delayed in life and maturity because of things that had, they had zero control over. Uh, I think we're starting to see the millennials, you know, pick up and be contributors, you know, to society, just albeit 10 years later than they were supposed to. Right. Um, so I think the verdict's still out on, you know, I know that there's a lot of bad rep on, oh, the millennials are a lazy crew of people. I really yeah, don't think that's I, true. I don't either, and I don't want to. I don't want to come across as as thinking that. No, no, no. I, yeah, in, in fact, I I think the baby boomers are the biggest to blame if we have peaked out because we started it. So I'm not picking on millennials or Gen X or. Yeah, I think what you'll else. see a big difference between the millennials and the Gen X is, is the millennials are a lot more averse to risk and debt and will end up kind of reverting to the what we what the greatest generation did, you know, save a lot of cash, put big down payments on houses, pay pay for things with cash if you can, don't finance it, don't go into debt. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of millennials just because byproduct of you know, of their environment uh, yeah. will end up being like that. Okay. So. I, I know we're probably coming up close uh, on time. It's, it's flown by. Yeah, we are. We're, <laughs> we're right at 57 minutes. So I'll, I'll end with this question, which is totally different, but I wonder about it all though. the time. Uh, so if the over and under for a Southeastern conference football <laughs> season okay. is six games yeah. played in, in the 2020. Okay. You taking the over today or the under? Ooh, see, a couple of weeks ago, I think I got asked that question, and I took the over. I took the over. I said we would get 10, 10 games in in 2020. Um, I'm more nervous about that today than a couple of weeks ago. I think uh, I think I'm going to go on the under, um, and I'll even I'll even venture to say that it will be all the way. I bet you it'll be mid-August, and we're going to get an announcement saying, you know, maybe not the SEC saying, hey, we're going to lead the pack and saying that we're not going to play football in the fall. But I think what will happen is you'll see all these other conferences start dropping and saying, that, we're that, not going to play That's kind of the, the deal, fall. right? No one wants to be the first one, and, and the, but the Ivy League's taking the first step. They did. They said uh, – yeah, they announced, I think they're, they're, they're go formally spring. announcing it tomorrow, okay. but the word's out that they are canceling the fall football season. They're going to try to play in the spring. Uh, that'll be um, it'll be an interesting fall. But, you know, I mean, it happened with professional soccer, uh, the European leagues. You know, they didn't finish their – they were supposed to be totally wrapped up in the spring, and instead they delayed – they started in the, you know, in the summertime, and they're wrapping up their – their professional league or professional play, you know, through the summer. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it'll be uh 2020 is just going to be the lost year. I think I've never wanted to rush time so bad. I'm ready for 2020 to be over. Absolutely. And 
Because it's just the gift I don't that keeps think, on giving. And, and I'm a big sports fan, so but I think one of the best things that could happen to our country in a time of crisis on many fronts is getting back to athletics. Yeah. Whether you're a professional hockey fan or a like me, a college football nut. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to get back to some sense of normalcy for that. And and I will say, two three weeks ago, I was beating the table that oh we're going to get more than six in. We'll get ten, maybe 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 twelve. Yep. Because they need the money. And today, I'm on the fence. I'd say ask me in another week or two because it just keeps changing. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if in in thirty days the announcement comes that. We're just not going to have... July is a huge month. Just huge. Yeah. I mean, it has... Cause I, I did read that I think it was Tennessee high school football made the announcement that they were not going to play. Um, and and, and that's, that's, you know, public schools. That's so. a, another subject for another day, but it, it's so sad for these kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look at my son. So, my son... And I know we're, we're bumping on time. I'll be real quick. But... So, he's a junior. Thank God he's a junior. Because if... If he was going into his senior year, I would feel really bad for him. Um, you know, they're doing their football workouts right now. He's super excited. He probably won't get on the field, uh, but he's super excited about being a part of the team and and going out there. And um, uh, but he, you know, they may not have a season this year. And I mean, I feel bad for the seniors last year that you know were playing baseball that you know didn't get to play baseball high school. Um, you know, and. It's not like you can say, well, hey, give us another year of eligibility and we're going to play. High. No, they, they move on to college. And then so some of those seniors that missed <laughs> missed baseball in the fall are moving on to their freshman year of college and no football. It's going to be 2020 if – I just need to hurry up and end. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. 2020 has been the year that keeps on giving, and they aren't good gifts. They have been little turds and punch bowls. They are not. Uh, but thanks for having me, Martin. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you, Stacey, for coming on. Uh all right, we'll wrap up for me, Martin Palomo, and my guests, our CEO of Pinnacle Trust, Stacy Wall. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a good day.